bonus audio begin. In this corner with Brian Campbell returns with a special SummerSlam interview edition. Just days out from the biggest party of the summer. This Sunday, August 19th, yes, when WWE once again invades the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. Don't fret, listeners. We've still got your back with the regular Wednesday edition of the ITC Wrestling Show this week. We're going to recap an absurd NJP1 NJPW, wow, I'm so fired up. I'm messing up. NJPW G1 final and preview, of course, both SummerSlam and NXT TakeOver Brooklyn this weekend. But today, we drop a little bonus sauce on you. And let me be frank, I got that hot sauce. Oh, yeah, it's still hot. It's still consensual. And we bring you a pair of can't-miss interviews ahead of SummerSlam as both Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch stop by. And, folks, I'm a man. I'm 40, and I am fired the heck up to share these two chats with you. You have more raw testosterone flowing through your body than an all-male prison. That's actually true. That's actually a true statement there, Vince. I can't deny that, and I also can't deny that this show is underwritten by the juice that even Dr. George Zahorian wouldn't prescribe. It's that wonder drug that works audio wonders, the performance-enhancing audio, and with me to imply the injection, yes is my co-host. You know him well. Say hello to the bad guy. He doesn't need your introduction. He just needs your ears. Shut the heck up and listen. He is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. Hey now, this is a loaded interview episode of the ITC. Yeah, we have we have no long intros for you. We have no advertisement. We got nothing to sell. But how was that not audio. a long intro? <laughs> what are you talking? That was, that was the shortened version. That was me just <laughs> okay. getting fired up and stumbling over my words there. <laughs> but I'm fired up when we get lengthy, good chats with prime superstars ahead of a big event where you can pick their brain at them. Because some we love our friends at WWE PR. They hook us up. We 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 scratch each other's back. We get the good audio. Sometimes you only get 10 minutes with people. Sometimes you get more. Sometimes you get a half hour with a damn architect. You know what I'm talking about? The question is, who's a better booker, Gato or the Silver King? Oh, wow. Oh, wow. There's a, that's, that's an interesting uh, cr- uh, cross-pollination question because, you know, Gato's representing the revolution. You're representing the... Audio revolution that is in this corner. I don't know. I, I don't know. You know, the B- BC scores some big ones too there, but you are on a roll here getting Lynch and Rollins, getting them for some time, letting us pick a little bit. You know, you know the kind of topics we're going to bring at them. You know, our listeners know what, what we want them to say, and they were kind enough to come on this show and say it, Adam. But like well, I said off the top, we're still going to have a great Wednesday show for you. Absolutely. And what the listeners don't know is we also interviewed Ricochet. Problem is, Guy was on a school bus going to a charity event, and I could barely make out the words coming out of his mouth. That said, I do hope to have a story later this week on CBSSports.com from Ricochet ahead of NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 4, I think it is now. Is it um, four? Is it really I think, four? Uh, I think it is, and it's going to be five in March or April, I guess. So what was the first one? The be- was, that the, was that the Bailey Sasha? I think that was the second one. Oh, that's interesting. You know, as as wrestling journalists and people that care, we should probably. You're the one with the memory event by event, though. I don't have that. I never claimed to have that. Um, I remember matches. I don't remember dates and and specific shows. That's not me. Wow, this would be the fourth, right? This is the fourth, and then yeah, WrestleMania in April would be five, which is a lot, <laughs> a lot of Brooklyn. 
Brooklyn's a great home, by the way, for this it event. Is. I don't know if it's going to land. I don't know their their deal situation, if they have another year, if this is the end. I mean, we know SummerSlam had been in L.A. for a while, but this run in Brooklyn, I'm, of course, biased because I live two hours away, and it's great to slide in them, them NYC DMs and catch it, you know, without having to pay for the flight. But this has been a, a good run, and uh, I hope it continues. You know, the, the New York City crowd is obviously strong, and I like – the feel that that the Barclays Center has brought to all three combat sports as a new player. I mean, obviously, MSG is where we all want to be, but Barclays, they, they took some time, but they built a good name there. I'm, I'm down. I've always It's always been surprising to me that WWE does not come to Florida for SummerSlam, ever. It just, it, it doesn't make sense. Like, at least WCW would occasionally come for Bash at the Beach, but WWE, like, yeah, it's summer. Miami, Orlando, Tampa. Jacksonville like there's places to go in Florida and it's always just I understand that they want this to be a destination event but they move Wrestlemania every year I don't know why they feel that SummerSlam needs to really be stuck in one location but if you're going to pick one location New York and Brooklyn it's really tough to get better than that no no that I got I got an east coast bias and I have a northeast bias for you and I'm I'm down with that okay yeah the first NXT takeover Brooklyn was 2015 that was Balor Owens I think we also had the the Sasha and Bailey, not the Iron Woman match, by the way, because that was right. a full sale. We we all we all forget that, but just the regular match. Two was in 2016. I was there. Shinsuke. People were singing in the subways afterwards. His theme song when he when he took on Samoa Joe, and then of course three was last year. Bobby Roode, Drew McIntyre. I can't name. What was them. the What was the women's match for two though? Uh, well, hold on, I got a, I got a slow internet connection today. So last year was Mac and Drew McIntyre, Bobby Roode, and Oscar Ember Moon, Alistair Black, Hideo Time. Was last year not that great? I, man, no, we it was not. It was not that great. It was not the best. Okay, so Brooklyn two was Joe Nakamura. Oh, that was good. That was Bailey's last NXT match when she took on Oscar. It wasn't the one. Oh, Bailey Oscar. That's what it was. Okay, okay that was a great match. Yeah, I like that. And that had that incredible revival DIY match, which I yes. is one of the best tag team matches ever. Seriously, I, that's not that's a bold statement, but that that actually works. It's it's incredible. All right, enough of us jabbering about NXT history and me not having my facts straight. Let's get right into. The Becks, Beck Balboa, whatever you want to call her. Becky Lynch coming your way right now. Enjoy. <laughs> Becky Lynch walking into the CBS How Sports Podcast. Doing great, Bex. It's it's the biggest party of the summer. You ready for this? How are you feeling? Oh, oh, I'm so excited. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I only before it's coming from. It was our first big pay-per-view when, uh, when myself, Charlotte, and Sasha got up on the main roster. Um, and it was the... It was the the culmination of the women's revolution, if you will. And here we are, what, three years later? Um, and I'm getting to fight for the title, so that feels pretty pretty wonderful. That's not bad. That's not bad. It's Sunday, August 19th, of course, SummerSlam, the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, 7 p.m. Eastern on the WWE Network. Got a lot of questions for you about that. But, Bex, you, you've been a couple different characters in your career. And look, we all love Becky Lynch. She's the best. Beck Balboa, we love her. But the fans really want to know, when is La Luchadora going to get the push she deserves? Let's be honest here, Beck. <laughs> I wanted that to go on for ages. <laughs> I love being La Luchadora. I, I, I think I think there would definitely be space in her to, uh, space for her to come back. Hey, maybe she'll challenge me. Once, uh, once I win the title. Hey, well, we've never seen you two in the same building at the same time, right? I mean, may- maybe. It's possible. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, the match, of course, is the triple threat, the title match. Carmella and your bestest of best friends, Charlotte Flair. 
Or is it? Oh, we, we don't know. We don't know where this is going. Don't give it away. No spoilers here, Bex, but tell me this. We know. No, but, but no, she is my best friend. She is. All right, we can give that away. But I want to talk right there. How did how did this this BFF stuff start with you two? When when did you know this is my pal right here? I work great with her. I'm gonna be in title matches against her. When did this start? Uh, You know, actually, it was from uh, from the get go in uh, elemental when I went down. She just so lovely, you know. And we have the same kind of. uh, we have the same kind of interest, the same kind of life, you know, we both like going to the gym and eating a, eating a, a whole lot of food. <laughs> we probably started there. And, uh, yeah, she, she's, she's very easy to get along with. She's very down to earth. And, um, uh, so from the get-go, like, I, I came in there, she'd been there a year ahead of me. Um, I, I hadn't wrestled in seven years, so my confidence was kind of down. It was, it was something that I really had to rediscover, you know, and, um, I felt like, uh, I felt like one of those girls from, you know, like, uh, I don't know, like, it, it, all, everybody was so glamorous, right? And I, I walk into this place and I'm Trumpy as can be. And I didn't know that people wore fake eyelashes and had fake hair and all these kinds of things that, you know, uh, you find out down the line. And, uh, she really, her, herself and Sasha, they really helped, um, uh, do a little bit of a she's all that kind of transformation. I'm not saying that I'm all that, but you know what I mean. Um, it was that like uh, they really looked out for me, and they uh, they they saw that I loved this and that I wanted to do well, and that I was going to work hard. And um, two of them kind of took me under their wing, and um, really made me feel comfortable. It was a real big um, help in, in finding my confidence again in the range up. So from that, then when um, and and so then we were close the whole time in in um, in NXT, but not as close as when we got on the main roster over at PCB. And uh, and when we came up, it was just you know uh, we were in the the same team together. Uh, transitioning onto the road can be a tough thing, you know, and uh, having somebody there that that knows everything about it and that's going through the exact same thing is really helpful. And uh, and I think that's that's really what cemented the lifelong friendship. You know, Becky, you mentioned Team PCB, but that's not how you were introduced to WWE on the main roster. You guys were the submission sorority, so I have to ask you, who came up with that name, and what was your reaction when you realized really what it was and why it had to be changed? Uh, well, it wasn't any of us. <laughs> I don't know who it was, but it wasn't any of us. And uh, I think I think we, we heard the name and we all kind of looked at each other and I don't think it lasted a full day <laughs> before it was, nope, you're not bad anymore. Now, we talked about Paige, I mean, we talked about Charlotte, but you also have a long-term relationship with Paige going back to obviously Ireland and England and your time in Europe. And you suffered a very serious injury about, I think what it was, 10 to 12 years ago now. And, and now that Paige is dealing with everything that she's dealing with, um, have you been kind of a shoulder to lean on for her? What have you kind of spoken with her about her situation and really lessons you learned from the time that you were out of wrestling? Well, you know, like, because Paige is, uh, Paige is such a, an incredible, unique talent, you know? Um, the thing about her is that I think she's so talented that she's always going to be fine, but losing something like wrestling, it, it, it's, it, when I went through it, it was, uh, kind of undescribable and, and this sounds super dramatic um, 
but it was, it was like I was breathing a death almost because it was that, and, and maybe it was because it was that part of yourself that you had identified with, you know, like for, for so long, um, I was the wrestler, you know, and then all of a sudden I wasn't. But I, Paige seems to be handling it so well, and she's so talented, and then she's doing such a great job with, uh, with the GM stuff, and then she has other things, other projects on the side. So she's, she's killing the game at the moment, and I have no worries for her future. That's great. That's great. And, and certainly the GM spot was a soft landing. She's doing a, a fantastic job. We, we see you guys screen this, share the screen once in a while. And another person sometimes you share the screen with, you go to Becky's wiki page and you'll see trained by the great Fergal Devin, a.k.a. Mr. Finn Balor. We're talking back in like 2002. You got to give us something yeah. from back then. Did you two sit back there as teenagers and go one day, we're going to make it. We're going to be on this roster together. What was young Bex and young Ferg like? No. <laughs> uh, well, we ne- well, I'll tell you, we never sat down and said that, you know. Um, because, so, okay, one, one he was my um, trainer or whatever. So, um, I, I, and he was incredible. Like, I think um, everybody uh, that came into that, into that school you could just see that, that Finn was always going to make it. Like, he's incredible, and he's got so much passion for it, and he could do anything. Um, and uh, so so we all knew he was going to make it, and then I think, uh, and I was terrible when I said, like, I was terrible. I couldn't do anything, but I really loved it, and I, I had a lot of determination. Um, I remember crying, I think, probably, one of the numerous times I did in training, um, Fergal and I was just like, I just, I just want to be able to wrestle like the guys. And he was like, well, that's what I've been trying to be, to make you do. <laughs> um, so he was always, uh, he was always super encouraging, never, uh, never treated me any different. And, uh, I always just knew that he was, he was going to end up here. Um, I, of course, took that, uh, seven year hiatus. So it wasn't always, uh, a clear path for me, but, um, there was always something deep, deep down inside that I, I thought I would make it here eventually. I just didn't know how. How exactly did you get on WWE's radar and, and actually wind up with the company? Did he play a role in that, or was it really just they met you separately and it was a happy coincidence that that he trained you and you guys had a previous relationship? Um, yeah, so a little bit of a little bit from column A, a little bit from column B. So, um, well, I was, I was, yeah. So this was not too long before. Um, before I got to try it, but I was sitting there and I go, and I, I said to him, like, yeah, I don't know what I should do. Like, I feel like I've got unfinished business in wrestling, but I don't know if I can pull back. And I've got all this, these things going on, you know, I just you know, I graduated college and things like that. And, uh, uh, and he was like, well, please go back now because I'm not sitting here with you in another 10 years and you're going to be wishing that you'd gone back then, but then it'll be too late. And that, Hit home with me, and then, um, and then once I had the tryout, uh, I reached out to him for whenever he was, um, when he, whenever he was back in Japan, he was in New Japan at the time, and uh, and he would come down, and he would, he would, he would train with me a little bit, um, so that at least when I when I came in, uh, I didn't look like I hadn't wrestled in seven years, which <laughs> I, I did, which apparently apparently I did. 
<laughs> well, the, the two of you did great things in, in NXT separately, but obviously, but at the same time. And I want to stop there for a second on your journey, Bex, because we love main roster Beck Balboa. You've done great things. You, you've been a champion. You may be a champion again on Sunday at SummerSlam. I will be a champion again. You sorry, just sorry. might be. But in NXT, the good girl Beck, the greatest, you know, one of the greatest modern baby faces, got to play heel. And I can't stop rem- reminding people that they can go to the WWE Network and they can call up May 2015 NXT TakeOver Unstoppable <laughs> and the great feud, Bex. And I say great and I mean it with you and Sasha Banks where you were friends. Then you turned foes. You had a great 15-minute match. And anyone in this women's revolution that's a male that maybe wasn't into wrestling for females has a moment when they bought in. Beck, that match was my moment. I'm sure it meant a lot to you. Take me back to being a heel there and working with Sasha. Because, again, I don't want to disparage what you're doing now. But I almost love that run more or just as much. Wow. First of all, thank you so much. That that means the world to me. But, so, so back then, so I had turned heel, right? And I was, uh, and and it was against Bailey, of course, most of the baby days, so probably all time. Um, So, once you once you uh, double cross somebody like Bailey, it's, it's it's easy to uh, it's easy to be hated. But then and then so myself and Sasha Banks then ended up being Team Bay, Team Best at everything. <laughs> and uh, uh, and then of course um, we uh, we were we were working together and, and trying to get her to the championship. And then Regal came down and he made a fatal four way. Between myself, Sasha, Charlotte, and Bailey, and that was really when the four horsewomen thing started. Um, and then, of course, when you're going for gold, and um, then there's obviously going to be dissension. And and so, um, Sasha, for for lack of a better term, she was she was well, she was the boss, right? <laughs> and uh, and and so in the fatal four way, it was my opportunity to say, hey, I'm not just going to be your lackey. I'm going to stand up. This is what I want to do. And I'm coming for it. So, uh, so in that we, you know, we were going back and forth, and, and then at one point I, I turned on her and I suplexed her. But I, I think more than just because she was such a great heel, that turned me more babyface. And of course, because I was more the underdog, right? I was the less known one, um, and that turned me back babyface. And then, um, and then the match was made between the two of us for uh, for takeover. And then we got to go out there and um, I got to change my whole look. Um, I really wanted to debut or to to, uh, to use that as a as a new coming out party and, and, and a brand new start. And that was when I debuted the orange hair, the steampunk look. Um, and from then, I, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, it kind of I, I feel like that that match put me on the map. Um, and and I have a lot to thank Sasha for for that too. And, you know, certainly this is evolving all the way to the women's evolution pay-per-view coming up later this year, which is a great big deal. But, like, I always say we can't fast forward from what happened in NXT, Bex, because you guys changed women's wrestling. What you, what the four of you did there, like, I know you hear that a lot, but do you ever get to digest that and actually understand that, like, you're part of a select group that literally changed the game, changed the way they play on the main roster today because of what you guys did in that tiny arena? Um, that, uh, it's kind of unfathomable, <laughs> um, what a tongue twister. <laughs> um, yeah, no, uh, it's, it, it's hard to comprehend because, um, 
Because when I set out from Dublin, right, and I, and I left, all I wanted to do was make sure that women's wrestling was cool again. I wanted it to be the thing that people watch. Um, I wanted uh, us to have interesting characters that people could relate to, not just the, the bitchy girl, not just the crazy girl, not just the nice girl, but the different elements. And, um, and I wanted uh, the women, more specifically me, to main event WrestleMania. Um, and I wanted to bring the term women, women's back from, from divas, because divas was never really a term that I personally could relate to. Um, and, uh, and I was in there with these other three women who had the exact same goals. And we just wanted to be incredible. I wanted to be able to hang it and steal the show every time that we went out there. And it was just the perfect storm of just lightning in a bottle. And, uh, this great thing was that in NXT we were just allowed to go out there and it wasn't and the thing was the greatest thing about it was that it wasn't even a big deal right it was just these girls are getting good storylines of course of course there are talents they should be getting good storylines and then these girls are going out there and putting on good matches well of course because we're we're supposed to be Incredible. We're supposed to be at the top of our game. We're in WWE or NXT. It's all the same thing. But of course, we should be able to be putting on great matches and having interesting storylines and having interesting characters. Um, and, and and that was it. And it wasn't any more than that than just us going out, wanting to prove ourselves, but just doing our job and wanting to make sure that the audience cared about us and that they cared about the match and that they were entertained. And here we are today, Bex. SummerSlam, August 19th. Barclay Center, triple threat for the Women's Championship. This was a straight-fire interview. Thank you for your time, Bex. We're going to check you out in the Marine 6, by the way. Close quarters. Wanted to get that plug in for you oh, as well. Yeah. Coming soon. Great talking to you, Bex. Best of luck in the future. Thank you so much. All right, Adam. First take reaction. Anytime. We interview Becky Lynch anytime Becky Lynch is on some of our competitor podcasts. This is a real life baby face that every time she speaks, you fall in love with her. It's it's the truth. It's a straight up. It's the hot fire truth. It is. It's it's almost like you wonder how she was successfully a heel in NXT because it just doesn't make sense. Right. And yeah, you're right. She's like actually legitimately sweet and nice and kind. You hear it in the answers when you make her remember something or you make her think about something maybe she hasn't considered in a while or you just pay her a compliment. It's like, oh, she's actually blushing when she's giving this answer as opposed to just having it roll off her back like, oh, yeah, I get complimented all the time. And you see it also in her social media too. Her Instagram account is maybe the best social media follow maybe in wrestling, at least so I don't for follow WWE. That, but everybody talks about her IG stories. When it's you, great. Are yeah. you in them? What, what's going on in there? Uh, basically, she recaps every TV or pay-per-view match she's in with still photos and like does written commentary. So she's like telling you her character's perspective of the match or the event that she was just in from TV. It's really good. And it's just a unique way that she utilizes social media. But on top of that, you also get insights into her life and every picture is smiling. There's always a positive message. You know, you see Charlotte on there, all of her friends backstage and you just get uplifted, really, when you talk to Becky. I think we got a taste of that yeah. in the interview with her today. 
I know she's been dating uh, UFC fighter Luke Sanders in real life. I, I we didn't get into that this time. I tried. We had we you know fourth wall removed. We had a Bex interview like six nine months ago. I forgot what it was. It was great, but the sound quality stuck, and we didn't. It didn't work, and it didn't happen. We got into all that UFC stuff back then. But hey, shout out to Bex. Couple points that she made though. Look that the her detailing how long the friendship with Finn Balor was was really interesting. I kn- I always knew he had trained her. I you know it, it just came to me in the moment like. They didn't both know what they were going to go on to be at the moment that he trained her. And to see them sort of have parallel journeys. And yes, Finn went to Japan first and made a huge name for himself. But them being in NXT at the same time and then coming to the main roster at relatively the same time. Like, that's a cool relationship there. They're they're, they're two real-life babyfaces. And to see them where they are today. Well, they took drastically different paths to WWE, if you really think about it. Like, this Finn obviously was healthy, thank God. And like you said, he made a huge name for himself over New Japan, started the Bullet Club, had as much heat behind him as one could really have joining WWE, really him and AJ Styles. I don't know that there's been any two guys more propped up as, holy crap, WWE signed blank than those two guys, especially lately, right? Maybe a Tommy as Kent, when Kenta came over yeah. and they didn't live up to it, but yeah, that was, that was, that's it. But right those there. two, the, and Nakamura also, but really Finn and AJ because they were even more familiar with an American audience and they spoke English obviously better um, as their first language. So even more so, but then you have Becky who was with Finn for a period of time, not relationship wise, but training wise. And then, you know, wrestled while, and then Finn leaves for Japan. She stays in Europe when England and Ireland, and then is out of action for six years. I didn't know doesn't, that. Yeah. It doesn't think she's going to wrestle again, suffers a serious injury, ends up managing Paige and her mother. And now she's the one still wrestling in WWE and Paige is on the, on the mend. And it's just a weird confluence of events with Becky and Finn and, and how they wound up not back together, but back working in the same company and around each other again. Yeah. That was, you know, cool to hear that insight. And I, you know, in her relationship with Paige and I knew, I knew she had overcome injuries. I didn't realize it was seven years out of the business and you dig deeper. You find out she was like a stewardess for Aer Lingus for a couple of years. There. I mean, she had lived the dream to a degree and then walked away from it and thought it was over. So I think that probably fuels how much she's still happy to be there, still happy to be doing that. And you mentioned it's hard to imagine her as a heel. And to be honest, she was a bit of a reluctant heel. But I said it before, and I said it again, like, go back and watch the build to that 2015 NXT title match with Sasha. It was great with her, with Sasha teaching her how to be bad, so to speak. And then eventually they turned on each other in that, in that fatal four-way match that a lot of people remember as being the women's match that put it on the map. For me, it was sort of the one after. It was I love that fatal four-way. It opened my eyes, but it was the Bex-Sasha match that followed where I was like, they just put on a 15-minute match where every minute, a great hold was accounted for. You know what I'm saying? Like it wasn't, it wasn't a lot of rest holds. It wasn't a lot of the typical women's fair from the mid two thousands of WWE. It was a damn great match with a great story. And it's so simple and everything from how they attacked each other at the contract signing was simple and perfect. I, I almost want to do an impromptu pay-per-view uh, rewind segment. Just go back and watch that, that match and that bill. Cause that little five minute video package at the beginning just gets me fired up. Do do you think, look, we're in the women's revolution, evolution, whatever you want to call it. Do you think that WWE, and when I say WWE, I don't mean Triple H because we know he knows, you know, what Becky is and and what the women are. But do you think the company as a whole right now really understands what they have in her, Sasha Banks and Bailey? And I leave out Charlotte because they know what they have in Charlotte. They're marketing her family. Um, She's obviously incredible in the ring, extremely talented and, and can carry on that legacy. But do you think they actually understand that? those three women 
have the opportunity to be legends in the in not just women's wrestling but in WWE because it doesn't feel like it the way they book them. Well, they understand the theory of it, which is why they constantly talk about it. But they talk about it in a like we talk about it, an almost disingenuous way where they're patting themselves on the back, where Steph and Vince are you know patting themselves instead of necessarily or or purposely patting these four women. And they understand the theory of that women's wrestling has changed under our banner in the last five six years. But instead, the focus is always on the the save. What was it? Hashtag save the diva. What was it? What was this exact? Give divas a give, give divas, divas a, chance. a chance. Instead, the focus is on that. And when the focus is on hashtag give divas a chance, it inevitably the the credit turns back to WWE, and that's why we criticize them. Where no, you're right. They don't understand because in NXT, the women's wrestling was booked like men, and it was awesome. And even today on the WWE main roster, even though they've made giant strides for women, even though you saw that 2016 feud with Sasha and Charlotte that was headlining pay per views and deservedly so. And even though there's an evolution women's pay-per-view coming up, no, they still don't know what they have because they still don't let these women go out there and have bad-ass matches and they don't push Sasha or Becky like they should. And Charlotte seems to get pushed more because of her name than her wrestling ability. And really, the four horsewomen should be in your face all the time for their wrestling ability. And we should be having, like, let's talk about it. I love what Alexa Bliss has done. I love what Carmella has done. But we haven't had an NXT-like women's match since that Sasha Becky feud or if we have it's been like one match we haven't had a stretch or a feud where it's been about the wrestling see I expected a give and go there instead I actually gave you an alley-oop because you nailed it and that's really my issue it's not so much that I think Carmella and Alexa Bliss and Nia and Naomi and everyone else shouldn't get a chance in the spotlight they should and many times when they've been given the opportunity they've done exceedingly well Naomi I thought with the title was a fine champion. They just booked her like absolute crap, right? Alexa Bliss, she's amazing on the mic. She's not good in the ring, but she does bring something to the title. Like just like Enzo with the cruiserweight, right? And I'm not comparing them as people, but Enzo wasn't a good worker, but he was able to talk his way into being a, being a legitimate cruiserweight champion. So there is value to the other women on the roster, but if they're not playing off of the women who we know can work, then no one's necessarily getting better. So you have in your Raw main event, Alexa Bliss and Ronda Rousey, and you know I love Ronda Rousey, and I think she's the future of the women's division. I, I legitimately believe that without WWE forcing it down my throat. I said it before she even signed, right? But once this is over, I don't want to see her fighting Alicia Fox and Nia Jax. I want Ronda Rousey, Sasha, Bailey, Charlotte, Becky Lynch, and everyone against each other because that is the real women's revolution, evolution, and we've totally gotten away from it. When they brought in the, the submission sorority, uh, which I was trying to remember what it was because that's the joke I wanted to make. Um, and they brought in all the women and Stephanie got her moment in the sun to say she brought in all these women to, to Raw you know, and WWE. That was great. But they've kind of, while they're featuring the women more, they're going away from the reasons that we liked the women's revolution, if that makes sense. No, it, it, you just nailed it. It makes perfect sense. And the best part about it was when, you know, I put her on the spot in that last question about like, yeah, we always talk about that. You guys were part of this revolution. But do you think about the fact that you literally changed the game? And I love what you said. It was effortless back then. They didn't stress on it or focus on it. They just went out there and did great wrestling. And unfortunately, today 
we can't have a good female moment on the main roster without WWE pressing pause and saying, hey, look at us. Look what we just did. We just did another one of these pushing the, the envelope in women's. No, you, you, you didn't. You just did another make it all about you. But anyway, shout out to Becky for the interview. We hope change continues. Go back to the archives and watch NXT for 2014, 15, and 16 if you want to see how it used to be and how it still can. Now, though, it's time for this guy. We've got a lot of nicknames. CrossFit, Jesus, whatever whatever you want to call him. We know, Adam, that you call him week to week the best wrestler in the world. He used to be Tyler Black, of course. He's now Seth Rollins. Colby Lopez, my man, coming at you right now. Enjoy. Seth Rollins, the architect, the damn Kingslayer, is entering the building on the CBS Sports Podcast. Sunday, August 19th, <laughs> SummerSlam, Seth, biggest party of the summer. How's that for branding? At the Barclays Center, 7 p.m. Eastern on the WWE Network. Thank you for joining us. How's everything going? Well, first of all, you nailed that intro. Very good, very good. Proud of you for that one. And everything is going really well. I just got back from an overseas tour of China uh, back in the States. and looking forward to uh, getting things cooking on the road to SummerSlam here. That's what I'm talking about. You'll be challenging Dolph Ziggler for the Intercontinental Championship. And Seth Rollins, this 2018 for you has gotten me and everyone else fired up. The gentleman sitting next to me with the microphone, Adam Silverstein, has even gone as far, Seth. Get ready here. Is calling you this calendar year now the best wrestler in the entire world. And clearly something's changed. And I don't mean something's changed like you improved. I just mean something's changed like every night I feel like you're going out there to steal the damn show. When What happened here? <laughs> Uh, nothing, man, you know, uh, nothing changed for me. I guess I just got in back into my groove, you know, um, took some time, but the, really the last year, 2018 particularly has been good from a singles perspective, but also you look at the last half of, uh, 2017 really was pretty hot from SummerSlam to SummerSlam, uh, even a little bit before SummerSlam, I really started to catch fire you know, uh, getting back together with Ambrose and, and then uh, winning the tag titles at SummerSlam, working with the bar, stuff like that. So uh, pretty much everything from, from SummerSlam last year until this point has been uh, coming up Rollins, so to speak. Would you say that health has something to do with it? Were you kind of tentative on your way back and now maybe you're completely confident again in the knee and maybe anything else that was bothering you? Uh, you know, maybe like I wasn't really un unconfident um, in the knee when I came back from the first knee injury. Um, but mind you, I did re-tear my ACL leading into WrestleMania and the match with Triple H. So there were multiple knee injuries on the same knee there. So, um, you know, like I said, it kind of I, it was like stunting me getting back in my groove. So, you know, I come back from the knee injury. Things are going well. I'm trying to find my rhythm. And then, boom, I tear the uh you know, the MCL again. And so like, that's kind of a little bit of a setback. And so then it took another few months to really, uh, to catch my groove. And to be honest, after WrestleMania, um, there wasn't a whole lot for me to sink my teeth into until, uh, you know, Ambrose and I started to, to realign. I don't know if I, if you'll go as far as what I'm about to say here, Seth, but the 2015 you put forth as a heel was, was one of the better years, I think, of this decade. I mean, it was dominant start to finish. You, you, you were the MVP of the year if, the, if, they, if they did stuff like that for WWE, in my opinion. But then you went to babyface. And some people were like, well, maybe he's not the same at baby that he is at heel. I feel like this year you, you got up to that level. Was there any, is there anything to that? Is there anything to Seth as a babyface? You maybe figured something out or am I making crap up here? You can tell me, Seth. I can take the criticism. 
Uh, no, I mean, there's definitely some validity to what you're talking about. Obviously, changing the pace is a, a bit of an adjustment for any performer. Um, but, uh, you know, you have to look at the, the manner in which the uh, the babyface turn happened, so to speak. And you look at, you know, the shift in, in the character. And it was, it, it was weird because when I came back off the first injury, the crowd was already was ready to receive me. Um, you know, with open arms, and that wasn't the direction that the character was headed. It wasn't something that I was totally ready for. And so then, when we, you know, when when the shift did happen, and and you know, I started to embrace the crowd a little bit more. It became, uh, well, wait a minute, we tried this once with you, and you know, we got to shove back in our face. So it was a little give and take. I kind of had to earn their trust back a little bit, so to speak. Um, obviously, the match at WrestleMania with Triple H helped that. Um, but again, after that, like I said, there was no nothing for me to really sink my teeth into from a, a story perspective from, uh, you know, OK, let's push the limits. Here's a top match. Here's a top feud. Here's a rivalry that you can really get into until getting closer to the summer and, you know, reuniting with Ambrose. Certainly. And, and you reunite, you get through there and now you're into this program with Dolph Ziggler and when. As a as a fan, as a journalist, Seth, when we get the first hint, the first taste that that okay, you're working with this guy. This could be three months, could be nine months, could be a year, whatever. This one got us fired up because of the work rate, the styles, the similarities between you two. I feel like it's just roll out the balls, and the two of you can put on a four and a half five star match anytime you want. What's it like working a big program with a guy that good? Uh, you know, it's great in the sense that it challenges you. You know, uh, it's one thing to be, uh, you know, working with someone, you know, who's not as experienced as Dolph and doesn't have the confidence that he does in the ring and stuff like that. Um, you know, there's a different mindset that goes into those matches. But um, what's nice about working with Dolph is that we push each other. You know, we both want to go out there and put on the best performance of the night. And so uh, when we're in the ring, it's, you know, who could do this? who can do it better basically you know what i'm saying and and when you have somebody out there who's uh, as sharp as he is and as good as he is you have to be just that good or better and so it's really a cool experience especially with all set in his career uh, where i'm at this year i mean we're both just you know on uh we're, on, we're in a good spot and being able to do it together is a lot of fun we saw you at extreme rules and we got to bring this up to get your reaction because this iron man match again we hear it's going to happen we're like Stop everything. Stop the presses. This is this is going to break the star structure of how these nerds rate matches. This is going to be the best thing ever. It was a pretty damn good match, Seth. But I feel like the crowd straight up ruined it. They straight up stopped you from having the best match ever. You've seen these crowd reactions before. This one just didn't seem to make any sense with the clock countdown, with the lack of focus. How? What is that like in there? How Does that make you upset? I was upset for you. Uh, yeah, I think upset's the right way to put it. You know, people ask, hey, you get mad, you get angry. What do you get? And I'm like, nah, dude, I just get sad because um, I love performing and I love having that synergy with the crowd. And when they're, you know, paying attention to something else, inexplicably, really, um, it just is frustrating from a performance perspective, especially when you know it's, you know, you're in the main event of a pay-per-view for the Intercontinental Championship. hasn't been done in 20-some-odd years and uh, it's it's the match that, you know, most people in the building uh, paid money to see to begin with. So it still, uh, you know, doesn't make sense to me. Uh, I, I don't get it. I can't imagine myself, uh, you know, like 
uh, paying money to go to some sort of show or game or concert or something and, um, you know, not paying attention to what's going on. But, um, again, you know, they, they did buy their tickets. They're allowed to uh, do whatever they want to do, you know, with their time. So it's, it's sort of a double-edged sword in that sense. They can do what they want, but yeah, I mean, it definitely, it makes you, uh, question your own validity in that spot. Do you feel that it actually, aside from taking away from the match from fans enjoyment, did it affect you guys as workers while it was going on as well? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. You know, it take, I mean, it throws you off your game. The whole, you know, having a great match isn't just about, okay, you know, doing all these cool moves. It's not just about, okay, we've got this great story and these two incredible workers and this and that it's, it's this interaction that you have with the audience. That's one of the special things that we have. that's totally different than any other form of sport or entertainment. You know, there's this, there's this, uh, like I said, this synergy that exists between the audience and the performers. And when, and when everybody's all invested in one thing, man, it's, it gets it, life changing, right? It's an incredible feeling. And so, um, it absolutely, you know, sucks a little bit of the energy out of you when you know you've got to work extra hard to get these people to pay attention uh, to the wrestling match that they paid to come see. So, uh, you know, by the end of the night, we got them. You know, by the end of the 30 to 35 minutes or whatever, they were there with all the near falls and the excitement and the drama. But, uh, you know, we just had to, it was like pulling teeth to get us to that point. Yeah, and, and you know, we have the debate on this show all the time about that whole thing. You know, you pay a ticket. What up to what level are you allowed to do? Right? Can you can you hit a balloon in the air? You know, there, there's there's lines. People are different on that on what they're willing to accept. But you've been through this before. Like I mentioned, I mean, SummerSlam 2016, Barclays. I was in that building. I'm still mad at people for not realizing how good that Finn Balor match was and focusing on the color of the damn belt. I know title. Don't interrupt me. I know it's a title. It's a damn belt on this show, Seth. All right. You also see it right now in the Roman Lesnar feud. And I bring you into that because you kind of started this at WrestleMania 31. You're, you're a big part of this. When you see the fans reacting to Brock Roman, what, what could be done? How, how do you win them back when they're just prepared in advance to ruin the action? Uh, you know, you just got to go out there and, and do your job to a point. Um, at the end of the day, the people are going to do what they want to do. Um, and you have to go out there and like I said, do your job. I think that, you know, there's a section of the audience that um, already has something in mind. They already know what they want to do. When, when you bring up, you know, something like a Brock and Roman situation, they already have in mind how they feel going in. And then it becomes very difficult to change their mind, uh, you know, during the course of a match, um, during the course of how, you know, the allotted time you have to go out there and, and tell that story. Um, and so it just makes your job a little more difficult is all. And, and I don't know the science, you know, I, there is none. It's an art form, right? So I don't know how, how it works in 2018 all the way. There, it's such a different, such an interesting time that we're in in pro wrestling. Um, uh, and so I, I'm anxious to see, you know, how it comes out on the other side. I can't imagine it'll be like this forever, but um, it's an interesting shift, uh, paradigm shift in how the audience views the show, I think. You know, going back to that WrestleMania 31 match and moment, that moment's iconic. Uh, you running back up the ramp and swinging the title. He calls it a belt. I call it a title. I understand, you know, how it's supposed to be referred to. But swinging the title and the, that helicopter motion on the stage, that's an iconic moment as well. Is that something that you had planned out of the way you were going to react? Or was that totally just spur of the moment, how you felt at the time and what you did now that you were the new champion? Oh, no. I mean, that everything that happened... Uh, 
in that moment was a spur of the moment, just an emotional, uh, you know, release. Uh, you know, and that the swinging the title thing's not really anything new from a from for me. I've done it, you know, in the past and some other places and stuff like that. I didn't even really think about doing it. Um, you know, at the top of the ramp of WrestleMania, I just I was trying to do my best to like catch my breath and soak it all in and um, you know really take note of what was going on because it was such a you know really a life-changing moment for me a dream come true so everything that happened in that in that moment was uh, <laughs> uh on a whim so to speak i've ever, always wondered because I, I know vince can be very protective of the title did did he give you any reaction after you did that or no 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 just a big hug <laughs> okay good did you have a crowd moment ever that compares to that? Sometimes we do something as lame as comparing crowd pops because we live for this stuff, Seth. Have you ever felt a crowd anywhere in comparison to 31 in that moment? Uh, no, I mean, that's WrestleMania. That's, you know, that's a moment that uh, is probably going to go down in history, you know, uh, all-time type situation. I've been very fortunate to be in, in some, some, some venues where the crowd has just been insane you know uh wrestling the undertaker in a six-man tag in london um five five six years ago whatever that is now was really incredible the first time i ever stood in the ring uh, against the wyatt family the shield versus the wyatt family that moment was really special um i think even looking back to the week before SummerSlam last year when dean ambrose and i finally put our fists back together uh, for the first time in, you know, how many years. Um, that was a pretty emotional moment. Uh, I remember getting goosebumps on that one. So, you know, I've been very fortunate over over the years to have a lot of really cool moments. But the WrestleMania 31 moment is, you know, it's hard. It's going to be hard to top that one. You, speaking of really good moments, obviously you had that program with Sting. And after that was all over, I think he was interviewed. I think it was WWE.com. But he said that you were the best wrestler he ever worked with i i assume that you've heard that since he said it um what does that mean to you yeah that's pretty incredible you know um and i don't know who am i to question the validity of that statement i, <laughs> I can't see any reason i can't see any reason why he would uh just make that up out of thin air um and to, to hear that from someone who's worked with you know some of the all-time greats in this industry from you know rick flair uh, you know, to who, you know, to, to Hogan, to, to anybody really, you know, there's tons of guys out there that he's been in the ring with. I, you know, I could literally give you a, just an incredible laundry list of them um, to even be on that list is nuts. And for him to say that I'm the best that he ever worked with is almost like blasphemy to me because the guys that players, you, know, you know, wrestling God to me. So to, to watch it, to be in that company is, uh, is extremely humbling. And I almost, never like i'll never believe it there's no way you know it's got to just be him being nice or something like that because that's just crazy yeah somebody get those quotes put them in an envelope mail them to bret hart let's let's get let's get let's end that argument in the past there but speaking of bret hart argument seth we do the brett versus sean thing on the show like every other podcast it's like the auto default debate topic everybody always does which side you on which guy was better all time which guy you prefer you kind of have a working style that sometimes i feel pulls from both of them a little bit which one were you growing up? Brett, Sean, who's the better wrestler all time? Uh, I mean, I was, Shawn Michaels, my favorite wrestler, you know, that ever lived. So Sean's to me, number one, uh, I just think he had the total package. Um, he could really pull out a great match with almost anybody. 
and and so could Brett. Brett was incredible in the ring as well. But to me, Sean just had like he had it all, man. He was him and Eddie Guerrero are, are two of my top all time. And so if I'm going Brett versus Sean, I'd have to pick Sean. My personal opinion. That's what I'm talking about right there. That's why we love Seth Rollins right there. That had nothing to do with him calling you injury prone or him telling this show to f off one time. Nothing to do with that at all. I tell you. Sean over Brett. Hey, though, <laughs> speaking of the Hearts and the Hart uh, family in general, sad news, of course, as we record this morning, that WWE legend Jim the Anvil Neidhart passes away at 63. Uh, I don't know if there's a connection between you two. If you've crossed paths at any point, do you have any recollections, any memories of the Anvil? Uh, he was always just a fun, jovial dude to be around. You know, I never spent a, a ton of time with him or anything like that. Um, I will join you, you know, in, in wishing my condolences to the Neidhart family and uh, you know, Natty and, and uh, Tyson Kidd, especially, who are two people that I'm very close with, um, you know, lost a loved one. So uh, that's a bummer. And, and he, like I said, he was always just a really jovial guy, always in a great mood. Natty always had incredible stories about her dad. So uh, my heart goes out to the family and, and like I said, particularly Natty and uh, Tyson. You did mention Tyson Kidd and he, you know, I think a lot of fans know nowadays he's working behind the stage with production agent work, et cetera. Um, how good is he in that role? Because from the outside, it seems like every match that he helps put on is just borderline spectacular at this point. And I know you, I think have worked with him a lot uh, one-on-one more recently. Am I correct? Uh, yeah. Tyson's, you know, uh, an incredible backstage uh, producer as well as, you know, he was a talent. I mean, he was, of course, unreal yeah. in the in, unreal in the ring. Obviously, um, you know, career cut short um, due to injury, and he took a few years off, and you know, got his head right, and and you know, that could be a really difficult experience to come back to the business after you know your career has been uh, abruptly ended, and he's handled it with such such grace. Um, and it's so impressive to see the way he operates backstage. It's like he's still you know one of the boys, and at the end of the day, he's so smart and has so much experience that he's helpful in almost every situation. I mean, for me to have him on my team when, when he's uh, helping with uh, a match of mine, it's, it's like a, like a breath of fresh air for me. He's fantastic to have um, in that because anytime you need anything, he's got, you know, an answer. Anytime he you got a problem to solve, he can fix it. And maybe if you need any uh, tricep exercises, he's got some ideas too. This guy's friggin' ripped. What the heck's going on right now? <laughs> Dude, he's always been that way, man. It's, I mean, he's just he just he's a hardworking dude. You know what I mean? You, you tell him he can't do something, and he'll he'll prove you wrong. He's just he is just an extremely hardworking individual. Um, and the more people you surround yourself with like that, the better off you're going to be because he that rubs off uh, on everybody around him. Great stuff, indeed. All right, Seth, we play sound drops on this show all the time. We love the great quotes. This is an underrated one I like to play a lot that you dropped. There's only a few things in life that are certain. Death, taxes, and Seth Rollins beats Roman Reigns every single time. Yes, and Seth, certainly we love the work you've already done with Roman. Obviously, by his side with the shield, hitting him with the chair to break up the shield. But I say it all the time, Seth, and I want to know if you're with me on this. One day, you and Roman will work opposite each other again, and it'll be the defining feud of both of your careers, and it'll be big business, and this guy right here behind the microphone is going to be going crazy for it. Make this happen, Seth. I love Dolph. I love everything you're doing, but pound your fist on that desk and say, let's work the books, me versus Roman, death taxes and five-star matches for days. Let's do it, Seth. I know you want it. I know it. 
Uh, I mean, Roman and I have incredible chemistry, whether it's as a team or uh, whether we're, you know, working against each other in the ring. So I'm, I'm not opposed to it. You know, Roman Reigns is on the marquee every year at WrestleMania. And uh, I would not be telling truth if I didn't say that I wouldn't love to see my name up there next to his. So um, that's, you know, my goal is to be in the main event of WrestleMania on the marquee, the guy that sells the, the tickets to the show. So if it's got to be Roman Reigns on the other side of that, then, uh, you know, that's a, that, that's a fight I'm willing to take on. Love that. Love that. And we referenced a couple of times the Shield there, and you guys came back together at the end of 2017. I can only imagine that you moved truckloads of merch and shirts and all that good stuff, but it was abbreviated by a few different reasons. In retrospect, did it work? Was the timing right? How do you look back on that reunion? Uh, the timing was right, yeah. But obviously, you know, there was some just so many issues that uh, inhibited it being as great as it could have been. Um, although it did allow us to do some really weird stuff, you know, um, like seeing Kurt Angle and, and Triple H both in, in shield vests, which is just insane to me, um, to just see that is funny, uh, and cool at the same time. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously with the Ambrose injury, um, you know, Roman had some health issues during the process as well. It became just too much to you know, to overcome it. And there's nothing you can really do about it. That's just the nature of the business, the nature of life, really. And so we made adjustments and moved on. And, and the nice thing about the Shield is, like, it's always going to be there, you know. So um, when the time is right, I'm sure, you know, you haven't seen the last of, of you know, Roman, Dean, and Seth as a unit. I'm sure at some point down the line we'll we'll get back to that. Now, getting to this point, you were, I mean, you've been with Roman, Seth, and really about a dozen or maybe even two dozen guys and girls coming up from FCW all the way into NXT and now in WWE, who would you say just from working with them for such a long period of time has made the biggest leap in terms of where they started to where they are now, obviously besides yourself? Oh man, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I Roman is probably the first one that jumps off the page. Mind you, yeah, he grew up in the wrestling business, you know, um, he's an athlete, you know, played ball at Georgia Tech, stuff like that. Um, But again, before he got to FCW, it's not like he had been trained. So his experience level is only from what he's gotten in in WWE. And uh, usually when you see guys like that, uh, it can kind of be a recipe for disaster because they sort of get pigeonholed in this one style and uh, it's hard for them to – um, you know, really connect with an audience, really understand what it means to connect with an audience and how to do that. A lot of that, I believe, is learning on your own. And he's a guy who uh, was able to do that, has been able to do that without having outside experience. And that's really difficult to do. So he's the first guy that comes to mind. Another one that uh, popped up into my head immediately um, was Big E. Um, same, same sort of thing, you know, wrestling fan growing up had no uh, connection to the business other than, uh, you know, he was a fan and then he played football at Iowa, um, freak athlete, freak strong man. Um, but it, it's shown over the years that he's got a knack for just being an entertainer. You know what I mean? Just being hilarious and having uh, a good promo and then being able to carry his weight in the ring. So, um, those two guys, and then I'd be remiss. I know I, I'm getting long winded here, but I, I would be very remiss if I didn't mention the girls, um, particularly, uh, Charlotte, Bailey, Sasha, and Becky. 
the leap that they have made uh, from FCW to what they are now, these, these absolute megastars, uh, has done so much for them and for the business and for women in the world of sport and entertainment uh, that they deserve kind of their own little place in, in that in that uh, that history. It's really incredible the, the transformation they've made. Great answer, indeed. Uh, you, you being a veteran of NXT and a veteran of the Indies, and such a great reputation for making great matches. I'm sure you're watching from the main roster. And how NXT is like only getting better by the day, week, and month. We've got trips on this show. He said the only competition for the main roster these days worldwide isn't these other promotions. It's NXT. So as a main roster guy, you, I'm sure you see the, the social media reaction to takeovers and how they're blowing up. Sometimes people go as far as saying, hey, I'm more excited about this takeover than I am the Sunday night show, which I think is both a compliment and maybe a challenge. So how do you guys feel that challenge? What's the locker room reaction when on Saturday these NXT guys just kick it and raise the roof and put on these great matches? Uh, I mean, we're proud of them, you know what I mean? Obviously, that's a legacy. Um, being the first NXT champion is a legacy I'm proud to leave, and I, I firmly believe that, you know, without uh, my influence on that brand, it wouldn't be what it is today. And that's not me, like, you know, tooting my own horn or anything like that. I just think that myself and Ambrose, uh, you know, Cesaro, Kevin Owens, uh, Cassius Ono, uh, you look at those guys and the, and the mark we've left on what NXT is now, uh, just based on the style that we brought to FCW, um, that's, you know, we were the forerunners to, uh, you know, Sami Zayn to uh, Neville and stuff like that. So um, to be able to, Finn Balor and all that, so to be able to be like a forefather, a founding father, so to speak, of NXT is something I'm very proud of. So every time I turn it on and I see someone that I've known for uh, tons and tons of years, like uh, uh, Ricochet, for example, putting on a, an incredible match with, a, you know, a Velveteen Dream or something like that, it's really awesome to see um, someone who I've, you know, been friends with and now is kind of following in those footsteps and, and almost, pay, you know, paving their own path that's bigger than mine. That's that's a cool thing to be a part of. And um, just proud of those guys, proud of the promotion, love the way uh, Triple H, you know, runs that thing, the way it, it looks and feels and the energy involved. It reminds me a lot of, um, you know, early 2000s Ring of Honor um, and the, the energy that was around that promotion at the time. So, pretty cool to see um you know basically like a, a huge indie being a, a part of wwe good stuff good answer i like that we're excited for nxt takeover brooklyn of course saturday night august 18th and the big show on sunday night no not paul white i'm talking about SummerSlam, the biggest party of the summer seth rollins dolph ziggler for the intercontinental championship 7 p.m eastern on your wwe network seth thank you so much for the time it's been great hearing talking to you running up and down the road best of luck go out there and, and really come on kick, kick some tail give us a big one here i know you got it i know you got this come on brother nah. Hey, man, SummerSlam is my jam. I do pretty good at these events. So I'm looking forward to Brooklyn. It's going to be nice. Thank you, guys. Wow. Shout out to Seth Rollins. Shout out when you get 30 minutes with a top superstar and you can really break things down. He's a good He's a good talk. You know what I mean? It's a good chat. I feel like we're getting a pretty real guy in there. But, you know, it's not dropping bombs that are going to be aggregated everywhere, but it's not fully playing the corporate line. There's a real dude in there. Yeah, well, I mean, we don't. You know, people may may have thought otherwise with the Bret Hart interview, but we don't necessarily do interviews for the, you know, the headline bombshell. We're, we're we're trying to meet these guys and talk to them and figure out what they're all about. 
the biggest surprise for me coming out of that was how candid he actually was about the Iron Man match with Dolph Ziggler and how the crowd affected it. I kind of expected him to toe the company line a little bit more and say, well, you know, the fans can do whatever they want. No, he actually explained they ruined the match, you know, without maybe saying it in those specific words. And he's right. And really, you know, you and I expressed how we felt coming out of that moment. But after hearing him, and I have a feeling Dolph will have will be a little bit harsher when he when he's asked about it and he gets the opportunity to speak on it. Fans should really rethink the way that they conduct themselves during these matches because it actually affects these guys and it's ruining the product that fans complain isn't good enough. They're trying, but you're not letting them sometimes. Yeah, that 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 that's well said there, and and I I love that he was that honest. That yeah, it, it affected us. It affected the way we performed. It affected. I mean, we've seen some of the inside chat from the dirt sheets, or just slowing down that video and watching it, where you can see Dolph mouthing things to Seth. It certainly messed with them and got in their head. And there's there's that line, and, and I, I just don't get why people have crossed it lately. And it's weird because Seth was the guy. You and I were there. The Raw after Mania on Monday in New Orleans this year, where he's the guy in the dark match main event. They didn't have a match. It was a balloon party, and he's hitting balloons in the crowd, and it was like a, hey, fans, we get it. We love you. Let's have a little fun and games. And then, you know, a few months later to see them do this, it's just weird that Seth has kind of been a part of each of these major moments. And then, like, even the Roman thing, he's not there anymore, but he started it. But I want to stay there with Roman. And you heard my little diatribe there, and I've said it before, but can, can we get into a Seth Roman feud that leads to a like mania or SummerSlam main event in the next year. Where are we going here? You, you feeling it? Yeah. I mean, I think it has to be the feud, but the question is they want to keep them both babyface. So if you're going to, it's one thing if you're doing babyface, babyface for like Cena, the rock, even though in that feud, Cena kind of played a little heel. He tried at least, but with Roman and Rollins, Rollins is the heel. He's great as a heel, but man, this guy's making merch money and he's killing it. And fans love him. So yes, I guess a heel turn would work because it would turn everyone on a dime against him, right? But does WWE really want to do that? And if they don't, then how long do we need to wait? I think you and I are both in agreement, and I think fans and Smarks and whoever all assume that when Dean Ambrose comes back, a heel turn is coming because there's not a lot of heels on Raw right now, right? And and it would make ultimate sense for him to do that and be in that role because he would probably be an amazing heel. But for Rollins or Reigns, to have that match that we want, that feud that we want, one of them's got to turn dark, and I don't necessarily see either in the plans right now. Yeah, yeah, I don't know how they're going to do it. I think they're probably more apt to want to put them back together in some type of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. thing than than not, but, you, but you know, certainly even that idea is foiled by the idea that Ambrose could come back for an instant heel turn or, or come back and set the stage for a heel turn. Look, a lot can happen. I mean, just, you know, thinking what we talked about last week about the ideas of how this main event in, in Roman and Brock, and this isn't our SummerSlam preview, this is just a little bonus sprinkling of the potential ways that they could surprise us with a great storyline turn where we go, oh my God, they got us. This is great. And a lot of those involved Heyman. And it's like, how about Heyman have, being in a feud with a, a heel turning Ambrose and a, I'm sorry, not a feud, a, a faction with, you know, Ambrose and. Rollins or Ambrose and 
Ziggler and McIntyre. I mean, that's just like, can we get something that we don't see coming? Can we get one of those? Like, I never thought about putting those two guys together in a faction, but man, that just blew me away. And this is going to be awesome. Can we do that, please? If we can't get the Roman heel turn that we think will fix everything, can we get the really cool guys on the roster joining up with Heyman? We always think Heyman can only be with a beast, right? We're always like, well, if he's not going to be with Lesnar, it's got to be Strowman or it's got to be Lars Sullivan or it's got to be something like that. No, can he just be the face of like what he used to be on in WCW, right? Was it Devastation Incorporated? That was him, right? I mean, that was fantastic. It's true. I, I did think also it was interesting that Rollins was pretty candid on his return and not just the question I asked about his health and how long it took him to feel right and get that mojo back really to put on the match, the quality of matches that he is. But also he was, when he came back as a face, it kind of felt weird. Like fans were excited to have him back, but the Seth Rollins that we came to grow and love was a dastardly heel and a chicken shit. Like that's the guy that we said, this is the guy, right? This is the guy that can move this company forward. He comes back as like a smiling baby face. And it really did take a long time for him to deliver a quality face promo. Yes. But there's no question in my mind. I mean, you know, I, I do call him week to week the best performer because obviously the guys in New Japan don't perform week to week. Um, but it's not just in ring anymore. Like this, his promos and his segments are really high quality. And I think you're, you're seeing a guy growing more confident. And the way he answered the questions in this interview, you kind of felt that. This is a guy who understands himself and understands the Seth Rollins character. Absolutely. And I uh, incorrectly just called Heyman's Dangerous Alliance Devastation Dangerous Alliance Incorporated, yeah. which is Skandar Akbar's world-class terror, uh, fat heel faction from back in the day. So I wanted to correct myself there. But yeah, I'm with you on everything you said there. And I love when we get into NXT and the idea that if Trips is telling the truth and there is an actual competition here, what do the main stars see when they see takeovers blowing up do they wish they can go back you know all that stuff and hear him say that nxt is like early 2000s ring of honor that gets you popping if you're an indie revolution guy it shows you how smart trips is and it shows you that the future in paul's hands is is where we want it where we need it and even sounded like seth who gave all the credit to, to what trips is doing i mean he would never come out and say it none of these guys would on this show but did you get the same feel i do that a lot of them know what Trips is as a booker, had a run with him back in the day, watch NXT takeovers themselves and say, why can't we have that? Can we have that soon? Are we going to have that one day? What's happening here? You well, I think they thinking. love the NXT product because it's it's their profession, right? Like I love working at CBS Sports, of course, right? But if I see a good piece of sports journalism over at The Athletic or somewhere, I appreciate that for what it is. And I say, wow, look what they're doing over there. That's really cool. You know, they're doing a really good job. So I think that's really what it is coming from WWE. But anyone that thinks that when Triple H one day takes over the book, that WWE is going to become NXT, you are sadly mistaken. Now, will you get better work rate? Probably. Better storylines? Things that make sense longer term? Sure. I can see all of that. But you're not getting – well, what you're not going to get is the dimly lit crowd, and you're not going to get the characters, and you're not going to get the um, depth of storytelling because WWE – moves too much product on a week-to-week basis. When I say product, I'm talking content, not merch. They move too much product on a week-to-week basis to operate the way and with the flexibility that NXT is able to operate. Think about what just went down, and and again, we're getting a little off topic here, but with Aleister Black getting thrown out of this main event, right, because he actually got legit injured against Tommaso Ciampa, they just ran an angle on NXT this week 
that's probably better than anything WWE's done in a while, the whodunit attacking Aleister Black in the parking lot, but they came up with that on the fly, and they had the ability to do so. Whereas with WWE, you'd probably get some convoluted, they'd show up for a couple weeks and get injured by getting run into the stairs and blah, blah, blah. That's what I'm talking about. So, Dude, it's the same guy, though. So you just said it wouldn't... If what I'm saying is things can change, but they're not... WWE will not become NXT when oh, Triple H takes over. It, the, I think the only difference will be one of the, the small arena and the dimly lit crowd. I think, I mean... But you have to way, book differently. My point is you have to book differently for that stuff. I get, in theory, what you're saying, but it's still trips. And if, if in trips we trust, and if he's running the show one day and Vince and done and, and the old crew isn't I don't know I'm going to give him a chance before I, before I believe they couldn't do it even with all those hours of content I want to see him challenge because what you hear on the podcast with the ex-fired WWE writers and on the dirt sheets you hear that they have a lot of the same good ideas that we as non-employed bookers on these <laughs> on these podcasts seem to have and that they've pitched them out too by the way and they pitch out the same hey this guy should return to join with this guy and they get squashed on the end of the of the assembly line every single time. So we won't know that until it happens. No one's cheering for the demise of Vince McMahon's health. You know how that goes, but we would like to see a change in man. I love that. Seth was just like, yeah, that's trips, man. That's the guy. He's By the way, that. you can, for listeners of the show, you can always tell when Brian's looking for a soundbite because he slows down his speech and tries to elongate his sentences very, as long as he possibly Costos -like can. That's a like move, by the way. <laughs> Costos would do that to get my attention on the camera, and and yeah. But there's a, there's a, there's always a <laughs> there's always a sound drop button in my head that's going, ooh, play that one right now. But the question is, if it's one we don't regularly use, can I actually find it? And no, the answer is no. So <laughs> you, you know, in those situations, you're just probably going to get bonus JBL. Now tell me who's the fruit. Yeah, tell me. All right, to close, um, it, you brought this up to me off cam, and it's interesting here. A lot of guys seem to have. We always say that the the thing is, oh, you want booking to change? Go in Vince's office and bang on the desk. I just said that to Seth, by the way. You want to wrestle Roman at WrestleMania? Go bang on Vince's desk. Is that a thing anymore? Because it seems like everybody that came up through NXT and worked for Trips is our Trips guys. They 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 negotiate their contracts with Stefan Trips. We know that Jericho, when he wants booking changes old school, he goes right to VKM. What do you think the breakdown in that locker room is? Do these young guys have the same relationship with the old man? It's tough to tell because you saw that. I forget if it was WWE 24 or 365, which one it was. But like the Kevin Owens situation, right, where he fought Jericho at WrestleMania. And he went over to Vince immediately when he got back into Gorilla. And how was that? And Vince was like, not good. And Owens felt like absolute crap, right? So if that's indicative of them still going to Vince, then maybe they do. But to me, I just don't see guys that were in NXT going to Vince when they have a problem or when they want something accomplished. I feel they almost use trips as like an intermediary and assume that he will have their back and push for, you know, whatever they're asking as opposed to going to the guy himself, the guy being VKM. I might be wrong. Um, you know, one thing that from listening to Bruce Pritchard, who, by the way, great guest on our show last week, really appreciate him coming on. But listening to his show, Something to Wrestle With, he makes it pretty clear that Vince is really a lot more approachable than we might think he is, especially from talent, because he respects them. Now, that doesn't mean he's not going to crap all over them when they come to him maybe with a bad idea. But it doesn't seem like people are as afraid of Vince McMahon as us on the outside might think they are. 
It's interesting. I, I think it's still a case by case because I don't get the feeling like these young people right out of NXT have the same relationship. When I've asked a couple of no. these, you know, a couple of the girls that that, that are or women, I'm sorry, that are excelling on the main roster now, what's it like when you first met Vince? Like, well, I only met him once in passing, to be honest with you, you know, or you hear him say, I'm still intimidated by him. It's weird. It's just weird how the generations of WWE classes go because that the, the class that's just about turning 37, 38, 39, 40 now seems to be dwindling. It's that Cody Rhodes class, the Rybacks that are gone. It's the Zigglers that are still there, the Randy Ortons, the Sheamuses. But a lot of those guys from that group, Zack Ryder's age, those guys, they're either becoming Zack Ryder's who are kind of like fringe go-to guys for how a show is probably on the way out in the long run, or they're out. These guys don't seem to be staying around. I feel like everybody is next generation trips, guys. And we don't know that. And you just gave a great example of KO, who seems to be a guy that's working directly with Vince. But it's interesting. We always pitch these what ifs of what it's really like in this in this dysfunctionally awesome family that is the family running WWE. It's just interesting. Sometimes we get a little glimpses, but we also got a glimpse from Seth and the Brett Sean debate and probably fueled by the fact that Brett has publicly ripped Seth many times and Brett has now publicly ripped, privately ripped us that we brought it public. But here's another guy on the BC overall leaderboard that someday I'll update and the great Brett Sean debate that's on our side. He's a Sean guy. So add him, Bruce Pritchard, Adam Silverstein, BC and Nick Costos and probably a few others. I got to I got to go back to the archives and listen to the good side and we'll leave Bret Hart and Stack Guy Greg. On that other side, <laughs> I know there's, there's a few of our listeners out there. Well, they the question it. is, the question is, when do we get someone that says Brett? Who well, the hell is really like? I know we got not, a few listeners. My man Arun Singh is listening to us right now. I'm He's not a talking big about. Right, a few. I love our. I love our listeners. I'm not talking about our listeners. I'm talking about professional wrestlers, particularly those in WWE today, especially those that are being trained by Shawn Michaels now Good in point. Orlando at the NXT Performance Center or the WWE Performance Center. How many people? would actually say Brett. Like, do you think Roman might say Brett? Like, like, where is the Brett answers going to, where are the, where are the Brett answers going to come from? Okay. Roman would be one of those weird ones who might say Brett because Yokozuna was his cousin and he came up as a okay. part of the overall yeah. family. But you're right. And you, it does bleed over into a larger conversation of the fact that even though Brett's technically in the fold as a WWE legend, he's as out while still being in as any WWE legend. Cause he speaks his mind and you're right. HBK is literally in the family still working. So, and a lot of these guys came up through. It's it's a, that's a fair point if you're on the Brett side of of the potential. But I got I'm going to start compiling every person I talk to on this show from now until the end of time. We'll get that question, <laughs> and we will keep the overall running scoreboard, and we'll return the results. Maybe I'll go on cheap Pete and return the results and stack guy Greg's promotion and show him the real deal of what happened and what's going on. Oh yeah. Thank you very much, Seth Rollins, Becky Lynch. Any other thoughts from these interviews, Adam, besides reminding people that Wednesday, you're still getting the good stuff? No, that was really all I was going to say is, look, loaded show today, loaded show tomorrow. We have, we're going to talk Raw, obviously. We're going to talk SmackDown, obviously. But we have the entire WWE SummerSlam preview, NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 4 coming at you. And you know we're going to go deep on NJPW G1 Climax 28. Everything you saw, everything you think you saw, and everything you need to know coming out of Japan. All good stuff, no bad stuff, no bad jokes, just all the good stuff. I am sick of boogers and bathroom humor and semen. 
Wow, I'm sick of all of those, especially <laughs> the latter in the show. I'm sick of that completely, yes. but I want the good stuff. I want it all. You'll get that on Wednesday. Thank you, Adam Silverstein, for taking the journey with me. Thank you to Becky Lynch, Seth Rollins, and the folks at WWE. Hey, it's the biggest party of the summer. Your last ride will be your death ride, whatever uh, <laughs> Undertaker said that time. I mean, I'm so done with Undertaker. Bryn, did you see the Undertaker? I saw him at set. Um, um, oh, Bryn, you didn't see him, all right? And you're not going to see him at SummerSlam. And thank you, WWE, for not booking Cena, Taker, Jew at SummerSlam. That's about all I have for the moment. Hook the leg. You have Shaka and Osaka. Yeah, it has been written. That's all I got for you. We out.